Chapter 10. Dirty Tricks Drive Sales. Niccolo Machiavelli, in The Prince, published in 1511, said, The promise given was a necessity of the past. The word broken is a necessity of the present. Healthcare is not a free market. Gaming the licensing and patent system creates monopolies and can raise prices even for older drugs. Artificial shortages of vital medications increase their cost. Stalling in court with imaginative lawsuits lengthen patent monopolies. Litigation is also used to intimidate any individual or corporation that stands in a company's way. Lawyers' bills are modest expenses when a drug's revenues are in the billions. Tampering with markets is business as usual. In 2001, several of the world's largest drug companies, led by Hoffman LaRoche, conspired in a massive criminal price-fixing cartel to raise prices of their supplements and vitamins. A New York Times article reported, quote, The scope of the conspiracy boggles the mind. For a full decade, top executives at some of the world's largest drug companies met secretly in hotel suites and at conferences. When federal investigators were closing in, they moved to the homes of high-level European executives. They carved up world markets and carefully orchestrated price increases, and in the process defrauding some of the world's biggest food companies, including Kellogg, Coca-Cola, and Nestle. It was the most pervasive and harmful criminal antitrust conspiracy ever uncovered. Another strategy is to file patents to tie up competing products in law with lawsuits. These work even if the suits get lost because the delays based on patents prolong the period that the drugs keep their profitable monopoly. Filing a patent costs $20,000, which is nothing for drug companies, and there's no limitations on the numbers filed. One company submitted 1300 for a single drug. Even generic prices can sometimes be kept high using the patent system or some other technique, as the following stories show. EpiPen is a 30-year-old patented appliance used to inject adrenaline for the emergency treatment of an allergic reaction at home. The company that bought the device's patent increased its price over a few years from $100 to more than $600 and then to $2,400. Generics are available at publication date for $300. The CEO's yearly compensation went from $2.5 to $18.9 million. This would not have been possible without insurance reimbursement. It made the news, but since few pay cash, the outcry was muted. Insulin is arguably the most vital medication in all medical care. People with type 1, insulin-dependent diabetes, need it each day to stay alive. The developers sold the rights to it to a university for a dollar because they did not believe patenting such a critical drug was ethical. It's been off patent for over 75 years. 30 years ago, insulin manufactured from pigs or cows was less than a dollar a vial. Since then, Two new generations of the drug were created in the laboratory and patented. Manufacturers tripled the prices in the decade before 2016 from about $231 to $736 a year. Pork and beef insulin are no longer available in the U.S. There are 1.25 million people in the U.S. who have type 1 diabetes and 96% of the insulin used is the most expensive type, now costing about $300 for a 10cc bottle. Those without insurance spend as much as $500 a month on insulin. 
For some, this means struggling to buy enough to stay alive. Insulin rationing has caused fatalities. Some uninsured diabetics have bought their insulin abroad. The manufacturers claim that each new kind was superior. But many patients are switching back to the first-generation lab-made drugs because they are just as good as the latest and far cheaper. Despite using only 15% of the world's insulin, we pay nearly half the total price. This is drug maker price gouging, use of monopoly, and possible collusion. Colchicine is a two-centuries-old medication that relieves painful gouty attacks. When a federal law was passed to encourage studying older drugs, a small company did some research that confirmed what we already knew. It helped gout. The FDA allowed them to patent it for seven years and ordered the generic colchicine off the market. The company then jacked up the pill's price to more than $5 each, and it was sold for $800 million. Thanks to litigation by generic manufacturers, colchicine is now available again in a cheaper form. Secondol, secobarbital, was patented in 1934 and has been generic for decades. It should cost pennies. The traditional use was for sleep, but recently it became one of the best accepted drugs for physician-assisted suicide. In early 2015, Valiant, which purchased the medication from the prior owner, increased the price of the fatal dose to $3,000. Albendazole, the traditional pinworm treatment, is now $100 per pill or $1,200 for a course of therapy. An entire family typically gets pinworms all at once from one kid, so this gets expensive. Amidra Pharmaceuticals, the sole U.S. manufacturer, raised the price because they realized they had no competitors. The U.S. yearly spending for this drug went from $100,000 in 2008 to $7.5 million in 2013, and there was no worm epidemic. It's still available for a dollar a pill in Canada. A very different drug was promoted similarly. The older generic antibiotic doxycycline went from 6.3 cents to $3.36 per pill between 2012 and 2014. Its manufacturer took advantage of another temporary near-monopoly situation. Fluorouracil 5-FU. Phil is a 66-year-old friend of mine with actinic keratosis on his face. Dermatologists claim these are precancerous and say their treatment is imperative. Phil's skin doctor told him to rub the 5-FU solution on the spots for a few weeks. When he did this in the past, the generic prescription for a small bottle of this 30-year-old drug cost $80. This time, his dermatologist gave him a special order, which the pharmacist billed to Medicare. There was no charge to the patient, so he thought all was well. A few months later, he realized Medicare and his supplementary insurance had paid $2,000 for the tiny quantity of 5-FU. He speculated the drug maker gave his dermatologist some favor or kickback to prescribe the proprietary medication, which was identical to the old one. Chloramphenicol was invented in 1947, and it was considered a wonder drug. It killed nearly all bacteria and was initially thought safe. By the early 1960s, it was heavily advertised for almost any minor illness and was used in a shotgun fashion for millions of Americans. Doctors knew they were treating mostly viral illnesses, which would not respond to antibiotics, but they knew of no dangers. There were alternatives, including doing nothing. 
Within a few years, chloramphenicol was proven to cause liver and kidney damage, and in a few cases, death from aplastic anemia, which is complete blood cell suppression. Others got leukemia or other serious problems. Because it was prescribed so promiscuously, thousands likely died. Park Davis, the producer, marketed it even after they knew about the fatalities. Although this was clear by the 1960s when the FDA tried to exert control, the company ignored them and continued to advertise aggressively. But once the drug went off patent in 1966 and became less profitable, the marketing stopped and sales declined. No one went to jail. The CEO responsible, Harry Loind, commented, quote, If we put horse manure in a capsule, we could sell it to 95% of these doctors. Ironically, since chloramphenicol was later used sparingly, resistant bacteria never developed. When patients have multi-drug resistant infections now, chloramphenicol is still an option and it usually works. Aricept is another wild story. This controversial Alzheimer's drug grossed $2 billion a year and was due to go off patent in 2010. It was available in 5 and 10 milligram strengths. Four months before the license expired, the company patented a 23-milligram pill. Since the 5 and the 10-milligram pills could not be combined to make a 23-milligram pill, sales of the purportedly new formulation took off. The FDA scientists had internally recommended approval of this hoax, but their chief overruled them, allowing three more years of profiteering. It was all technically within the rules, but to observers, it looked like bribery. The companies price HIV drugs outrageously, even in developing countries. Recently, some African nations had HIV rates thought by some sources to be above 30%. If this were true, they faced annihilation. GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, refused to allow other companies to manufacture their patented AZT antiretroviral treatment for HIV. They claimed this would, quote, compromise future drug discovery. They lower their prices only after a worldwide outcry. Daraprim. The media dubbed Martin Shrekley, quote, the most hated man in America when he increased the price of this drug from $13 to $750 per pill. This is a second-line treatment of toxoplasmosis, a relatively common parasitic disease. It is seldom serious, but for those with AIDS or cancer, it can be life-threatening without treatment. Daraprim is not a frequently used drug, but because of this monopoly situation, the manufacturer could ask any price. Ironically, Shrekley went to jail later for securities fraud, not price gouging. Claritin. Sharing Plow's patent for the drug was due to expire, so they sued the new generic manufacturer that was about to release the drug. They made the claim that the generic's FDA applications were incomplete. This had no merit, and as expected, the lawsuit was lost. But since revenue for Claritin was $2 billion a year, they recouped the entire $5 million in legal fees every single day the case delayed Claritin from going off patent. This routine practice keeps a generic off the market with an automatic 30-month delay and its business as usual. Quote, pay-to-play is a related strategy. After the patent period expires and another company files for a generic application, just like the above case, the patent holder sues. They again claim there is a technical problem with the generic's FDA paperwork. Instead of going to court, however, they settle. 
the generic company agrees to delay production if the current patent holder pays them. Regulators realize this pay-to-play costs consumers billions of dollars every year and have attempted to regulate it. The rules have become progressively more complex. The game is ongoing despite attention from the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. and others in the EU. Drugs for rare diseases such as certain metabolic disorders or unusual forms of cancer are often in the news because industry raises their prices to fantastical levels. These, quote, specialty medications are 2% of prescriptions but are now 30% of drug makers' revenues. The corporate strategy is to publish in the New England Journal of Medicine and the buyers will come. These diseases are so uncommon that there may not be enough patients to do proper studies to decipher whether the medications work. To get a feel for this, look at the top earning drugs sold in 2017. There was one cholesterol medication on the list and a new expensive insulin. This top seller list is no longer made up of familiar antidepressants and blood sugar-lowering drugs. These new, quote, specialty medications get approved because of pressure on the FDA. Among other arguments, the corporations say, quote, without this drug, we will be empty-handed. An empty-handed doctor is apparently intolerable. Tampering with anti-nausea drugs. Composine and droperidol are $3 a dose, generic medications used to treat nausea. Here is the story of how they were removed from the marketplace to encourage sales of Zofran, an expensive alternative. In the early 2000s, Composine suddenly disappeared from the U.S., and shortages have been frequent ever since. Other countries can get all they want. Droperidol had a black box warning slapped on it in 2001. A new study showed that the drug caused serious cardiac rhythm disturbances called torsade de point and QT prolongation. When critics examined the data, they discovered the doses used in the trial were 50 times what is ordinarily used. At these doses, the drug was toxic to the heart. The world champion academic fraudster Yoshitaka Fuji had a hand in this study. He made his reputation in 2012 when he was forced to retract 183 papers because of faked research. Zofran, costing $150 per dose, has remained available. By 2006, its sales were $1.3 billion globally. It went off patent in 2007. 30 years of experience with droperidol was disregarded. The black box warning from 2001 survives in 2020, and Composine is still hard to find. GlaxoSmithKline GSK promoted Zofran for pregnant women after a Danish study showed double the risk of fetal heart defects in babies of mothers taking it. GSK paid a $1 billion criminal settlement in 2013 for allegations of off-label marketing. The total amount they paid was $3 billion, and this included issues with other drugs. This price was affordable because Glaxo's gross revenues were $39 billion that year. Zofran's cost in the U.S. is still $10 per intravenous dose and $23 for each pill in 2017. They are $0.75 cents in New Zealand. In an American-style business deal, Glaxo agreed to give a Korean company exclusive rights to market the original drug there if they would keep the generics off the market. Korea's regulator, the National Health Insurance Service, NHIS, fined GSK and the Korean drug maker over $4 million. 
None of these medications is very active anyway, at least according to Cochrane Reviews. They examined 737 studies, and the drugs only helped one in four people with their nausea. The expensive ones were no more effective than the cheap ones, and the side effects are all about the same. But some emergency physicians still believe Zofran works the best and say they cannot do without it. The next section is entitled, More Dirty Tricks. Other mysterious drug shortages have inflated prices for decades. I ran a surgical center, so I watched this. Propofol, a sedation drug, was hard to get for a while, and our wholesaler gouged us for the generics. At first, we believed the excuses. There were bacterial contamination issues in some factories, and Teva, the manufacturers, shut these down. A Las Vegas surgery center contaminated single-use propofol bottles with hepatitis virus, then infected patients when they used them more than once. Baxter, the wholesaler, paid a $144 million settlement, and Teva lost a $356 million jury award to one of these people. They stopped making the drug for a few years after this. Later, lidocaine, adrenaline, and even saltwater, saline, became harder to get, and their prices shot up. This was supposedly because of a Puerto Rico factory destroyed in a hurricane. This also affected Robinol, glycopyrrolate, a drug which keeps patients from producing too much saliva and choking during surgery. Then, in 2018, instead of buying adrenaline inexpensively in 20cc vials, my clinic was forced to buy single 1cc glass vials at 10 times the price per volume. These shortages persisted on and off, but we did not hear about them happening in other countries. Intimidation using lawsuits. Dr. Nancy Olveri at the University of Toronto was a lead researcher in a study of a drug used to treat thalassemia major, which is a severe anemia. Apotex funded the research, and she signed confidentiality agreements. When the drug trials were underway, her team discovered a critical health issue. She wanted to inform other researchers so they could warn patients who were taking the drug. Apotex refused permission. She consulted with lawyers and her ethics committee, who said she had a higher duty to her patients than to the company, and that the contracts were unenforceable. Apotex attempted to silence her by canceling her part of the study. They also sued her, but fortunately the Canadian state malpractice insurance paid for her defense, even though the issue was not malpractice. She could not have afforded her attorneys otherwise. While this was happening, she performed liver biopsies on her patients and found continued damage. Defamatory anonymous letters were sent to various staff members at her hospital. Despite her international reputation, she lost her job as chief of the abnormal hemoglobin program. DNA found in the letters proved they came from a physician working for Apotex. The University of Toronto eventually reinstated her. Strategies used to suppress unfavorable research. Boots Pharmaceutical owned Synthroid, a patented synthetic thyroid, in the mid-1990s. They commissioned a study at the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, to prove their product's superiority to the generic drugs. The study found no difference between the generics and Synthroid. The UCSF scientists sent the paper for publication, but the journal had trouble finding experts who would review it. They all said they had a financial relationship with Boots. Then, just before publication, the company invoked a contractual gag clause and suppressed the work for four years. UCSF fought to preserve its academic integrity, but Boots threatened it with lawsuits. 
Eventually, Boots was bought and became Boots Knoll. The new company published the data using ghostwriters who claimed it proved Synthroid was superior to the generics. When the truth came out in the Wall Street Journal, Boots Knoll was forced to back down but continued to print distortions. Experts at UCSF estimated that the country wasted $350 million a year on expensive patented Synthroid every year that the delays concealed the study information. In 2016, after industry lobbying, Congress limited the DEA's power to control drug wholesalers' importation of opioids. Previously, the DEA could freeze a company's shipments if they thought it was an imminent danger to the community. This might stop massive purchases of drugs deemed dangerous. The DEA had been fighting for years to maintain this authority, but after industry lobbying, Congress passed the bill. The chief of the DEA's Office of Diversion Control, Joe Renazizi, was a whistleblower. He said that the change destroyed the regulatory oversight of drug wholesalers, and as a result, Cardinal Health, McKesson, and Amerisaurus Bergen were now pumping opioids into the retail pharmacies with impunity. He said that the crack epidemic was inconsequential compared to addictive prescriptions. Gotcha describes the pharmaceutical industry's kickbacks, bribery, bullying, and intimidation. Quote, The centerpiece of the U.S. Organized Crime Control Act from 1970 is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, RICO. Racketeering is the act of engaging in a certain type of offense more than once. The list of offenses that constitute racketeering includes extortion, fraud, federal drug offenses, bribery, embezzlement, obstruction of justice, obstruction of law enforcement, tampering with witnesses, and political corruption. Big Pharma does so much of this all the time that there can be no doubt that its business model fulfills the criteria for organized crime. That's from his book, Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime, published in 2013. Everyone, including the regulators, profits from this activity except taxpayers and patients. The industry is happy to pay the fines, payoffs, criminal settlements, or whatever they are, as long as the money continues to fall out of the sky from the third-party payers. Prosecutors get publicity for the arrangements and congratulations for supposedly doing their job. Lawyers, legislators, lobbyists, physicians, researchers, and publishers are all on the take and collect their share. The insurance companies preside over the scene like arms manufacturers. They are indifferent to who gets shot, or in this case, how much it all costs. Their take is right off the top of the entire pile of loot. The pattern has been the same for decades. The drugs almost all stay on the market. New ones come out with regularity and profits grow every year. We know all about these firms. Roche made its money selling heroin illegally in the U.S. and addicted many patients to Valium and Librium while claiming they were not addictive. They market the practically worthless Tamiflu, making billions of dollars. Merck concealed the cardiovascular harms of its rheumatology drugs, which caused many deaths. Pfizer paid $2.3 billion for illegal marketing, which included kickbacks of four drugs, and signed a, quote, corporate integrity agreement as part of the agreement with prosecutors. It was a record settlement, but GSK beat it in 2018 when they paid $3 billion. Since Pfizer had paid up and sworn off ill deeds three times before, it is unlikely they will do any better now. Peter Gotcha concludes, 
In the United States, big pharma beat all other industries in terms of crimes. They have more than three times as many serious or moderately serious law violations as other companies, and this record holds also after adjustment for company size. Big Pharma also has a worse record than other companies for international bribery and corruption and for criminal negligence in the unsafe manufacture of drugs. That's from his book, Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime, published in 2013. These corporations are much better financed, organized, and influential than the regulators. I wonder if they are more powerful than governments. 